Um, my notes are at the hotel. Um, and I uh, covet your prayers. I need them just as much with notes or without notes. It doesn't make any difference. But uh, I, I, I want to. I'm so happy to be with you. And I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four. Now, while you're turning there, I'm going to give you the title of this message. Two things I know. Now, quite often when I'm preaching, while I'm preaching, and I bet all of you men who preach the gospel think this, do I even know what I'm talking about? And I'm not talking about not believing it, but I thought, how much do I enter into this? How much do I understand this? When I talk about the great things of the gospel, and they're so mysterious and high and holy and glorious, and I almost sometimes feel like I'm an animal trying to deal with something that I don't know anything about. You know, I, I know the truth. I mean, I believe it, but as far as understanding this, I think, man, you know, I, and I'm, I'm just sitting there thinking that stuff while I'm preaching. Um, but on this passage of Scripture, this subject I want to deal with, I believe these are two things that I know. Now, I, I, I believe the other stuff, but these are th- two things I know. Number one, I am a great sinner. Number two, he is a greater Savior. When John Newton was dying, I found out about this after I uh, prepared this message. I told somebody what I preached on, and they said, John Newton said that. He was dying. And uh, he said, well, I can't remember anything but two things. I'm a great sinner, and he's a great Savior. And I changed that. I'm a great sinner. He's a greater Savior. I hope the Lord will enable us to enter in to just what that means. Verse 16 of Luke chapter 4. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, from Isaiah chapter 61. I like thinking that he didn't have any trouble finding that place. He wrote the book. And he opened directly to this place where we would say Isaiah 61. He found the place where it was written, And I would have loved to have audibly heard the way he read this passage of Scripture. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me. To heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives. 
and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. You want to bet you could hear a pin drop at this time? They knew what he was saying. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Two things, before I get into this text, let me make a few comments. Two things I know. And I want to say that I know these things objectively. And I know these things subjectively. I know objectively because it's what the Bible teaches. The Bible is the word of God. That's our only rule of faith and practice. We don't try to figure out what we are and go and see if we can prove it from the scriptures. I know this because the scripture teaches this, that I right now, presently, while I'm speaking to you, am a great sinner. I know that objectively. It's what the word of God teaches. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. There's none that seeks after God. I know that's what I am by nature. That's what I am right now. You know, Paul said, O wretched man, that I am, not that I used to be, but that I am. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Not who I used to be, but who I am right now. I know that is what the scripture teaches it. And I know it subjectively. I know it by experience. That is me right now. A great sinner. And I know objectively from the scriptures. Now, this is not something I figured out. This is what the scripture teach. He's a greater savior. He's a greater savior than I am a sinner. And I know that subjectively I've experienced it. He is my Savior. What a Savior. Now what do I mean? First of all, I want to break those two statements down. I'm a great sinner and he's a great Savior. What do I mean I'm a great sinner? Well, let me first tell you what I don't mean. I despise those personal testimonies where people get up and talk about how bad they used to be and all the wicked things they did, kind of making it glamorous and are almost bragging on their sins and, and look what all the glamorous life I had and look what all I've sacrificed to be here now. I might have heard you say this. That's not a testimony. That's a bragamony. That's all that is. There's nothing to it. So I don't mean that when I'm talking about I am a great sinner. So what do I mean? 
Well, in order to understand what a great sinner is, first, what is sin? What is sin? The sinner is the one who commits the sin. God doesn't send sins to hell. He sends the ones who committed them to hell. What is sin? Well, the scripture says sin is the transgression of the law. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The commandment against any form of idolatry. His name is so holy that to take it in vain is a sin worthy of death. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Thou shalt not kill. Not physically. Not killing somebody's character by gossip and innuendo. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. Sin is the transgression of the law. Now somebody says, well, I try not to put anything before God. And I don't have any idols in my home. I don't have any statues. And uh, I try to keep, you know, I, I, try, I try to not take his name in vain. And I... Well, the Sabbath's not even applicable anymore. That's something they did back then. And I try to honor my parents. And um, I may have committed adultery in my heart, but I've been physically uh, faithful to my spouse. And uh, I've never killed anybody. I've never murdered anybody. And I've, uh, I've uh, tried to be honest. I try to tell the truth. And um, I uh, don't steal anything I haven't shoplifted in a long time and I, uh, I I try not to be covetous what kind of sinner are you what kind of sin you know that's not even real a sinner is someone who has not kept one commandment one time that's what a sinner is He's somebody who has not kept one commandment one time. <coughs> what do I mean by I'm a great sinner? <coughs> Means present tense. Not it used to be this way. Present tense tense right now I am a great sinner I'm not speaking of great by way of compliment but something that I hate I am a great sinner not I was not it used to be. I am a great sinner. Now, does the Bible teach this, what I'm talking about? Somebody says, well, what's wrong with you then? What are you doing? That's the way people think. What do you reckon he's doing? Forget it. Forget that kind of thinking. 
what is meant by being a great sinner. Well, let's turn to that very familiar passage of Scripture. Hold your finger there in Luke chapter 4. We're going to get there in a minute. But turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Now, there's been so much debate over this uh, chapter over the years, uh, particularly the second part. People say, well, Paul is talking about how he used to be before he was saved. Or he's describing an unbeliever, how they are. Or different theories like that. And, and the language of this scripture won't bear that out. Now look with me in verse 14. For we know. We know. This is not something that's questionable. This is not something we're not sure of. For we know that the law is spiritual. Don't you love God's law? I do. I love the Ten Commandments. They're exceeding broad. We know. We, we admire. I know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. Sold under sin. As a slave. Sold out. Now somebody says, that's the way he was before he was saved. No, before he saved, he said, touching the righteousness was in the law, I was blameless. That's how I felt before he saved. But now that God has saved him, his language is different. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. That's in the present tense. Not I was, I am. That's the experience of every child of God. Somebody says, that's not in my experience. Then you're not a child of God. When God teaches you who he is, you find out what sin is. Not before then. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, present tense, I allow not. For what I would that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. Not did I, but do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it's good. Now then, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Do you know that? For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good... Sometimes I don't find. It's not the way it says it, does it? I find not for the good which I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It's no more I that do it, but the sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. A lost man doesn't do that. I delight in the law of God after the I love God's law. I love the reflection of his holy character. I love every commandment. I love the law of God. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Every believer does. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. And look at this language. 
and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that, what? I am. Not that I was, but I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And he's talking about what only an unbeliever knows anything about. You see, a believer has two separate natures. A holy nature, birthed by God, a nature that does not sin. That which is fathered by God does not sin. And a nature that's just as evil as it ever was. And that is what he is experiencing. That is what is meant by a great sinner. If God reveals to you who you are, you will know that you are a great sinner. Now, let's go back for a moment to our text in Luke chapter 4. Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised or crushed. Five descriptions of a sinner. Number one, he's poor. You know what that means? Right now, you don't have anything to bring to the table. You don't have anything that you could present to God that he would accept right now. You're poor. Next, broken hearted. Now, I'm not real sure why the word hearted is in there because it's just broken. In the original, it's just broken. You're broken. What's that mean? You can't work. It doesn't matter what you do with broken things. You throw them away. They're no good. That is the experience of every... I'm broken. Broken. That speaks of inability. Broken. And the next way he describes this is captives. Captives. You're in a cell and you can't just up and walk out. If you could, you wouldn't be a captive. You're a captive. And isn't that what Paul spoke of in Romans 7 when he said, uh, when he spoke of the captive, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members? You know, any believer knows that free will is the biggest, most ridiculous thing that there ever was. I could freely, no, I'm captive. Captive. 
And then he describes recovering sight to the blind. If you're blind, you can't see. You can't find one reason why God would look your way when you look at yourself. You can't find one reason. Bruised is crushed beyond repair, unreformable. That is human nature. How'd you get that way? I was born that way. I was born that way. I was, as David said, shapen in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go about as soon as they be born. Speaking lies. I was born that way, but here's what's worse. I choose to be that way. I can't blame my sin on my circumstances. I can't blame my sin on Adam. I can't blame my sin on the sovereignty of God. God's sovereignty, let it happen. My sin is my choice. It's all my fault. I'm that way by practice. Here's what it looks like, what I'm trying to talk about. Here's what it looks like. All I do is sin. I cannot not sin. And it's all my fault. I'm not a victim. This is all my fault. And I can't look down in judgment on anybody for anything. And yet I do it all the time. Knowing when I do it, I'm nothing but a hypocrite for doing it. And I have no claims on God. If he passes me by and lets me drop into hell, just and holy is his name. I am a great sinner. I couldn't help but think of the rich young ruler. He comes to the Lord. Good master, what good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord met him where he came. You know the commandments. Keep them. Well, all these have I kept from my youth up. He was totally ignorant of the law of God. All these have I kept up from my youth up. One thing you lack. See, the Lord knew he was eaten up with covetousness. He was a covetous man. And he met him where he was. Sell all you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And you know what? He couldn't do it. That's when the Lord told the disciples, how hardly shall a rich man enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And I've heard people say, well, that's a, a real low place in the wall at Jerusalem. They'd have to get down. Real, no, that's talking about a needle and a camel getting through it. It's impossible. It's impossible. And the disciples watched him leave. <clears throat> Grieved. He couldn't comply with the commands. And they said, if he can't be saved, who then can be saved? With men it is is impossible. Now that's where I'm left. That's where you're left. With men, it is impossible. 
I am right now, present tense, a great sinner. But thank the Lord. He is a greater Savior. I love to think about the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a greater Savior. Just let's, let's just talk about the fact that he's the Savior. He said, that I didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. The world's already condemned. You know, we can talk about how bad things are. Well, they've always been that way. Well, they're worse now. No, there's been times when they've been worse. Uh, they're bad, yes, no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, I, I, it really bothers me when people are always trying to talk about how bad the world is. Well, what about how bad you are? Let's, let's, let's quit talking about how bad the world is. Let's, talk about, let's keep things where they ought to be. Um, he came, though, to save sinners, great sinners like me and you. That was his purpose in coming. Christ Jesus came into the world to save what? Now, he didn't say elect sinners. He didn't say repentant sinners. He didn't say believing sinners. He didn't put any adjective in front of sinners. I always think it's interesting. You read the Puritans, they say, we came to save sensible sinners. Sinners are stupid. They're not sensible. That, I, that, uh, he came to save sinners. People that I just now described. That Christ Jesus. Christ, I love this. God's prophet. The word of God. God's priest, if he brings you into God's presence, a prophet brings men the word from God. A priest brings God to men if he brings you into God's presence. I love thinking of um, when he said, as the great high priest, when he was hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them. Everybody he prayed for was forgiven. That wasn't a request. He was speaking as the great high priest and intercessor for his people, offering up himself as a sacrifice. If he brings you into the Father's presence, Peter, I prayed for you. Peter must be saved. What a priest. The sacrifice he brings. What a king. A king is the one whose will is always done. If he wills my salvation, saved I must be. He's the king. Jesus, what a name, the Savior, Christ Jesus. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He'll save them from the condemnation and penalty of sin. He's saved from the power of sin. Let me tell you what that means. Saved from the power of sin. Somebody says, sin seems awful powerful in my life. Here's what that means. There was a time when you didn't see it as that powerful in your life. That's when you were under its complete dominion. You can now do things that there was a time you couldn't do. There's a time when you didn't even know what it was to believe. You believe now. There was a time when repentance was a mystery to you. You're in a state of repentance now. Change your mind about God, about yourself. Saved one of these days from the very presence of sin. Oh, we can't wait for that, can we? 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, did he do it? Did he do it? That's the question I want to ask. Did he do it? Now, think about who he is. He is the God-man. He's the uncreated second person of the blessed trinity. And in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, here's, here's something that, I, that, that helped me to understand this. He looked at Peter. And he said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also me. You believe God is absolutely sovereign? That's me. You believe God is able to save? I'm God. That's me. Yes, you're going to deny me three times, but that chapter 14 division is man-made. He's still speaking to Peter and all his disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. Am I able to deal with your sin? Am I able to put it away? Do you believe God can? Do you believe God is merciful and great? I'm him. Whatever you believe regarding the living God, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in a body. Believe also in me. You see, it's who he is. He's incapable of failure. You know, I was talking about how it's impossible for me to be saved. It's impossible for him to not save me if that's his intention. That's what a glorious Savior he is. Now you think about what he did. He stood as a surety for all of God's people before time began as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And at that time, everything God required of me, he looked to Christ for. And Christ said, I'll take it on. You know, the world was created for this purpose. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The world was created for him to become slain and glorify his father. He came into this world. God manifest in the flesh and he kept God's law perfectly. He never sinned. I can you imagine? I, you know, when I'm even talking about that, I don't, I don't understand it. You know, I never sin. He never sin. Not, not in his mind, not in his actions, not in his attitude. Perfect before God. He perfectly honored the holy law of God. And then on Calvary's tree, he was nailed to a cross, made sin for his people, taking their sins upon himself. God killed him in absolute justice and righteousness. And you know what he accomplished by that death? He never went, his body never went through decay because the moment he died, God's people were justified. Their sin was put away. Salvation was accomplished. That's what he did. When he was raised from the dead, ascended back to the Father, all of his people went with him. Now, look at these five things again in our text. The poor. The poor. He came to 
declare the gospel to the poor. And let me remind you of this. I always want to be reminded of this. The gospel is only gospel if it's gospel, if it's good news. If it's not good news, either you're not hearing the gospel or you're not hearing as a sinner. One of those two things. The gospel always comes as gospel to the poor. Now, somebody says, I'm poor. I don't have anything to bring. Nothing is required. Do you hear that? Nothing is required. Everything God requires of you, he looks to his son for. It's a good thing to be poor. If you got anything, you're not going to have him. The only ones he saves are people who have nothing to bring poor. And then the broken. I love the fact that he says he came to heal the brokenhearted. And how does he heal? Well, one way is by his will. Speak the word only. Will it. And my servant shall be healed. And then by his stripes we were healed. First Peter 2.24 letting us know that this healing took place without us. He healed the brokenhearted. He preached, declared deliverance to the captives, people that are captured in their evil nature and wicked and sinful, and they're like Barabbas. Barabbas laying there bound, and, and then all of a sudden, he hears the jailer coming to open up, and he's filled with dread, thinking he's coming to give me, I'm going to be crucified. And the jailer opens up the door and says, you've been set free. Someone took your place. Covering of sight to the blind. I now see why God can accept me for Christ's sake. I understand that clearly. It's, it's for Christ's sake. It doesn't have anything to do with me. And to set at liberty them that are crushed. Now, I think this is interesting. This word set at liberty is the same word that's usually translated forgiven. Do you know God's salvation? Now listen real carefully. God's salvation begins with the forgiveness of sins, with the forgiveness of all your sins. It doesn't say, well, you need to, you need to believe, you need to repent, you need to, you need to turn over a new leaf, you need to turn from your sins and turn to Christ, you need to... Uh, no, God's salvation begins with the complete... Forgiveness of sins. And then he says in verse 19 to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, what is that? That's the year of Jubilee. That's what this is a reference to the year of Jubilee. You can read about it in Leviticus chapter 25. The year of Jubilee. Now men have always been looking for some kind of utopia. Uh, where everybody's treated right and everybody is, shares the same things and everybody has it. You know, in the French Revolution, they, 
They tried to make it to where everybody was the same. What they ended up doing was just killed a bunch of people. But that, you know, that's man's attempt at making a utopia. You think of the Civil War. We were trying to make everything right, and you see what took place out of that. And you think of communism, their original. We're trying to give everybody the same, put everybody on the same level. Everybody have the same thing. Trying to make things right. It ain't going to happen with men. It's 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 not. I mean, I, I wish it would, but it's not. Things are always. It's not fair. Yeah, I know, and it's going to get worse. But um, hey, being pessimistic, but um, that that's the way it is. Um, but uh, if there would have been a utopia on the earth, I suppose it would have been the year of Jubilee. Now, what happened in the year of Jubilee? It happened every 50 years. And can you imagine what this must have felt like? Every 50 years, that trumpet would sound forth the year of Jubilee. And if you were a slave... You were set free. And all your debts were canceled. They were gone. And everything you lost was restored. And the land was given a year's rest vacation. You know what's very interesting about that? There's not one instance of it ever being observed. They were supposed to, but there's not one instance in Holy Scripture that that year was ever observed. And I know why. If somebody owed you $10,000, what would you think of the year of Jubilee? I know who didn't want the year of Jubilee, the people who thought they'd lose by it. I understand that. But I'll tell you who would have rejoiced at the year of Jubilee. That person who was a slave in debt had lost everything and was in bondage. And the Lord looked at this group and said, This day is this scripture, the year of Jubilee, fulfilled in your ears. Now, these two things that I know I know this objectively I know it's what the scripture teaches this isn't something I just came up with it's what the scripture teaches I'm a great sinner and he's a greater savior and I know this subjectively it's my experience I'm a great sinner and he's a greater savior and I know what people's response is to this kind of thing well what about obedience what about following Christ? What about seeking to honor him? Where, how is that going to aid in this? News for you. It's the only thing that will. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. There the word sin is a noun, speaking of a nature at all times. I am aware of my nature. And then he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, to confess your sins doesn't mean you audibly confess 
every one of them because you can't do that. There's not enough time in the day, and most of the sins you've committed, you don't even know you've committed them. But what confessing sin is, is taking sides with God against yourself and agreeing with what he says. And then in verse 10, it says, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar. That's a serious charge. And that's, they're the words of verb. It's talking about what we do while I'm talking to you right now, present tense. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar because he says we have. And his word is not in us. Now, once again, these chapter divisions are man-made. These things write unto you that you sin not. All your nature is always sinful. Everything you do is sin. These things write unto you that you sin not. That you make it your resolve to never sin again. When you do, we have an advocate with the father, father, a lawyer. And this lawyer is the son of the judge. And he does what no other lawyer does. He makes all of his clients plead guilty. And he causes every one of them to be justified. And he's never lost the case. And we had him before the sin, during the sin, and after the sin. Thank the Lord for our greater Savior. Because my, do we need one. If he's not all he says he is, I'm in trouble. There's no hope for me.